Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you need a Bible, the ushers have Bibles to pass around as well. There's a, a little insert in your bulletin if you want to pull that out. Uh, the next couple weeks, uh, we're going to be going through the one-chapter books in the New Testament, uh, starting today with Philemon, and then the next two weeks, Brandon will be uh, preaching uh, through Jude. Um, so if you haven't read any books in the Bible, hopefully by the next by next week you can say you read through two books, two whole books. So uh, Philemon is a short letter. It's right after Titus and right before Hebrews. So if you'll turn with me there, uh, we're going to read it. Um, I'm going to read the whole letter uh, just to give you the, the whole context uh, of the text, but we're going to be focusing on verses 17 through 20. So turn with me to the letter of Paul to Philemon. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that he, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Louis Zamperini was a U.S. prisoner of war survivor in World War II. Many of you probably remember hearing his story for the first time in 2010 when a book came out titled Unbroken. A few years later, a movie was made about his life, 
in which his plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean with his crewmates, and he stayed adrift at sea for 47 days. I like the beach, but 47 days in the water is a long, long time. He and two other crewmates survived the crash, but only he and one other crewmate would survive the time at sea. Upon reaching land in the Marshall Islands, they were quickly captured by the Japanese Navy, and they were declared lost at sea and later killed in action. The focus of the film on Zamperini's life is of his tenacious spirit in which he stands up to his terrible tormentors in the prisoner of war camps. Under the prison guard, Musahiro Watanabe Zamperini was tormented until the end of the war. And that prison guard made the list for the worst, some of the worst war criminals in Japan. After the war, Zamperini, he returned home. He received a hero's welcome, but he was tormented by the nightmares that he had endured. He could not forget the experiences that he had, and he had dreams, nightmares of strangling his former captors. He endured terrible things, and so he turned to alcohol as a way to try and forget what he had been through. Now, at this point, I don't think any of us would blame him if, you, if he was to say that he had hard feelings for his torturers. The things he went through, no person should have to go through. And yet, Zamperini endured terrible things, and the thoughts of getting revenge filled his mind. This morning, we're going to investigate Paul's letter to Philemon, and we're going to be touching on a difficult topic, I think, for Christians and non-Christians alike. It's the topic of forgiveness. I know in my heart, and I think you know in your heart, that forgiving someone when you have been wronged is something very hard to do, perhaps even the hardest thing to do in the Christian life. Because of sin, all of us at some point have been wronged, hurt, stolen from, beaten, slighted, offended, taken advantage of, or stabbed in the back. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have hurt others, we have caused pain to others, and we have taken advantage of others. And you and I both know that when, when we are wronged like this, that our sin nature is most likely to rear its ugly head. The Bible says that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. But we know that most often we are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. We want revenge and we want justice. We want the debt paid. We aren't going to forgive that person. If we are honest with ourselves this morning, there are probably pressing issues right now in your life and in my life that we still remember, wrongs we still remember, that we keep track of and we feel bitter about. I'm sure you can think of some event or someone in your life that you have yet to forgive. It could be the estranged sibling you haven't talked to in years. It could be a close friend that you've pushed away or a spouse that's betrayed you. It could be a parent you've ignored or a child who's marred your reputation. You might need to forgive your coworker, your neighbor, your abuser, or a stranger you see in town. At some point in some relationship, forgiveness offered and forgiveness received is necessary. 
Our passage this morning shows us what forgiveness looks like in the household of God. Philemon tells us why forgiveness is even possible. Paul's letter to Philemon is a brilliant display of Paul's pastoral ministry as he reconciles Philemon, a slave master in the first century, with Onesimus, a runaway slave. His instructions to Philemon that a slave master in the first century forgive a slave for running away and probably stealing money from him when it would have been perfectly legal to have him crucified show us just how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Onesimus was a runaway slave and had, and had his had cost his owner money, whether he stole money or whether he was absent. And he comes to Rome where Paul's in prison and he learns and hears of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the new life that is offered in Jesus Christ. And he becomes a Christian. And so Paul, with Onesimus, writes this letter back to Philemon as an appeal to Philemon that his debt be forgiven and not only that, that he, be, that he be welcomed back into his household as a beloved brother in the Lord. Paul knows that because the debt they all had with God, which was paid by Jesus Christ, he could ask Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother. You and I both, like Onesimus, have a great debt, whether we ignore it or not, and this debt is called sin. It weighs heavily on our hearts and lives. We read in the newspaper, we check on our Twitter account, we turn on the TV, and the effects of sin are all over the place. People are killed, children die, governments are corrupt, eyes are made lustful, hearts are completely hardened against the truth. Sin destroys relationship, but the gospel restores relationships. Paul's letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus is our biblical instruction this morning as to how and why forgiveness is possible within the body of Christ. It is a necessary topic that the church must deal with today. It is only because God in Christ has reconciled us to himself that we can be reconciled to one another. So here's my main point, my big idea, just so you're not confused. Because Christ has taken our debt, then Christians ought to forgive her to... to oh, that was terrible. Came out bad. Let me try that again. Because Christ has taken our debt, then Christians ought to forgive one another's debt. Let me say it one more time well. Because Christ has taken our debt, then Christians ought to forgive one another's debt. And as a way to make my seminary professors proud, I have three points for you this morning. All right. Number one, the basis for Paul's request, which we see in verse 17. Number two, the bridge for Onesimus, which we see in verses 18 and 19. And then number three, the benefit of refreshment, which we read about in verse 20. The basis, the bridge, and the benefit. So the basis for Paul's request is based off of his partnership, his fellowship with Philemon. The reason that Paul is able to ask Philemon to do such a thing, like forgive Onesimus, is based on their fellowship as brothers in Christ. Paul's approach to Philemon, which is on the basis of their relationship as a part of the body of Christ, is what fuels their faith. The fellowship that they have as brothers in Christ fuels their faith. 
And the faith that they have in Christ, it fuels their fellowship. He says, if you consider me your partner, this term here is reflective of what he started out with in verse in the, in the beginning of the letter, uh, verses 4 through 7, in which he appeals to Philemon and gives thanks to God. He says that the sharing of your faith, this is verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He builds on this idea in verse 17, and he calls to mind for Philemon that they have both been called by God, and it is this relationship as brothers in Christ which has drawn them together in common activities, most for gospel service. Their partnership in the gospel provides the basis for what Paul instructs Philemon to do in the latter part of the verse. He says, receive him as you would receive me. He entreats and he petitions Philemon that Onesimus be received as if he was welcoming home Paul himself. Now Philemon, he would, he would have no problem welcoming Paul home. He'd probably be excited that the Apostle Paul was there. But, but a fugitive slave like Onesimus, Paul, like the brilliant diplomat he was, appeals to their fellowship with one another because of Christ in order to ask Philemon to do the exact opposite of what was the cultural norm of his day. Slaves who ran away were most likely killed or they were most likely killed upon their capture or their return. But Paul wants him to welcome him home as if he was a brother. If we put ourselves in the Philemon's shoes and have been wronged in this way, I could hear us saying, I could hear myself saying, forgive that guy? Paul, you're crazy. You are asking way, way too much. Do you know how much damage this guy has done? Paul, there is no way that this guy is going to come back to my house. Yet Paul, by appealing to their status as adopted sons of the Father, through the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, he commands Philemon to receive Onesimus back. And when you think about this, it should call to mind for us the broken relationship that we had with God. God's Word tells us that before, we, before God, we stood guilty and were corrupted by sin, deserving the punishment of death. Yet God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love for us, while we were still dead, while we were still in debt, He made us alive together with Christ by His grace. Not only have we been saved from the dominion of sin, but we have been given an inheritance in Christ Jesus. Philemon welcoming Onesimus home on Paul's behalf is like the Father welcoming us home on Christ's behalf. It's a great picture for us of how the gospel is put into practice. Now, if you're sitting here this morning knowing that your relationship with God is still broken, then today is the day of reconciliation. Jesus Christ has made a way for you. And I hope and I pray that through Christ, your heart of stone would be made into a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The basis for Paul's request is their identification as brothers in the Lord. This basis was sufficient for Paul 
for Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a brother who had also joined the household of God. Paul, however, knows that Philemon has probably suffered some kind of loss because of Onesimus. And this is what he deals with in the next verse, which serves as the bridge for Onesimus. The bridge for Onesimus is that his debt is paid. Now that Paul has explained to Philemon what he wants to do, he takes care of some business with Philemon. Many people think that Onesimus probably stole from Philemon upon his departure, and his time away has caused a severe cost to be borne by Philemon. And upon his connection with Paul and in turn new life in Christ because of Paul's ministry, both Paul and Onesimus know that he should return to Philemon and pay off his debt. Yet this debt's a problem. Paul's in prison and probably doesn't have a lot of money to his name. And we know Onesimus doesn't have any money to his name either. And so Paul, he steps in on his behalf. So know what what Paul is asking Philemon to do. Number one, he's asking him, you are to welcome him home. Not just let him come home. Not just open the door for him and let him sneak in at night. But he is to welcome him home as if it was Paul himself. And then second, he's asking him to forgive the debt that Onesimus certainly owes. And in both cases, note here that Paul stands in for Onesimus and tells Philemon to charge it to his account. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This language of charging and accounting is used elsewhere in Scripture to describe the way that we have been redeemed. It describes the idea of a wondrous exchange in which Christ Jesus took our debt and made us rich. Let me remind you that it is because Christ has paid our debt that we should be willing to forgive the debt of others. When we look at other passages like Romans chapter 4, if you want to turn with me there, Romans chapter 4, another one of Paul's epistles. In Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, we see that he says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This word of counting is the same kind of word that Paul uses in in verse 18 when he says, charge it to my account. In verse 18, Paul tells Philemon that Onesimus' debt are to be put in the ledger under Paul's name, and there they will find that they are more than canceled out. They disappear as totally as the sins placed to Christ's account on the cross. So if that's not enough for you, Paul reinforces his idea, his command to, to Philemon with an IOU statement in verse 19. He tells Philemon that I will repay it. But in kind of a smooth sort of way, he reminds Philemon that he too had ministered to Philemon like he also ministered to Onesimus. 
So in this verse, we learn that Philemon had become a Christian under Paul's ministry. And so Philemon's debt to Paul for sharing the gospel with him is much bigger than the loss that is caused by Onesimus. You see, Paul slowly and carefully backs Philemon into a corner. It's it's a friendly corner and a loving corner based off of fellowship. But it is for the purpose of showing him the wonders of the gospel. Paul stakes his claim on the assurance that Philemon's fellowship of the faith will mean the welcoming and forgiving of the slave Onesimus. Even more so, the debt owed by Onesimus is is to be wiped clean. Now take take a moment. I want you to think about your own life. Brought face to face with your sin to think about the heavy burden of sin that once weighed or still weighs on your shoulders. Perhaps think about your family and the generations of sin that have caused residual chaos and hurt. You've been wronged and you've wronged others. The picture that we get from Paul's letter to Philemon is the picture of sinner reconciled, of slave reconciled with master, of creature reconciled with creator. And the debt is paid. And is this not what Christ has done for us before the Father? Reconciling guilty sinners, you, you and me, to a holy and righteous God? For those of you who know Christ as Savior, this ought to cause you to be filled with gratitude that your debt has been paid. Your sins have been washed clean. But perhaps you're sitting here this morning and thinking to yourself, my debt is still, is still too big. No one can pay it for me. There's no forgiveness for the things that I've done in my life. This morning, God's word tells us and it charges you that those sins can be charged to Christ's account. He was obedient to the Father even though you were disobedient. He bled and died to make payment for your sin. He purchased your your eternity for you knowing that you were destined for eternal punishment. In Christ Jesus, you can have eternal joy in God's kingdom with him. Charge your sin to Christ's account and believe in the gospel this morning. The basis of Paul's request begins with the fellowship of the faith and turns into the bridge for Onesimus. The bridge for Onesimus is one in which his debt is paid by Paul. Saints, this morning let us be reminded that our debt has been paid through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And if you're here today still skeptical of your forgiveness in Christ, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too will be saved. There's no debt too large that cannot be be paid by Christ. And as we move to verse 20, we see that Paul strengthens his argument and explains the benefit of forgiveness. The point of verse 20 is a way of strengthening Paul's request before Philemon. He's not asking anything new of Philemon, but he's reinforcing his desire to see the fellowship of faith come through on behalf of Onesimus. In verse 7, Paul had already reported on the refreshment of the saints that Philemon had caused because of his love. 
Now in verse 20, Paul states directly that he hopes his heart will be refreshed by Philemon's follow-through on his request. Their relationship is called to mind, again, with the repetition of the word brother. Paul's desire is expressed that his heart be refreshed. As it relates to Philemon's relationship with Onesimus, their relationship is deepened in a much bigger way. Rather than in the terms of master and slave, it is in the terms of brother with brother. And their behavior ought to be conducted in this light. For us this morning, verse 20 shows us what this kind of fellowship brings to the saints, to Christ's church. Fellowship within the church that is characterized by reconciliation and forgiveness brings refreshment to the hearts of the saints. Paul's hope is that Philemon will go through with what he has asked and bring refreshment to his heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ ought to bring refreshment to your heart. In my house, in my in-law's house right now, there are lots of wrongs done every single day. Mostly between a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old that have lots of opinions about whose toy is whose and how it should be played with and when it should be played with and how long it should be played with. Mabel, my one-and-a-half-year-old, she just developed a new word that is every parent, young parent's favorite word. Not no, but mine. She's super cute, and we're slowly navigating this new stage. She really just thinks, I think she means that I have this right now, or I'm holding this right now, or can I keep this? Um, but I've learned as, as a parent that you can, you can force a kid to say, I'm sorry, and you can also force a kid to say, I forgive you. But you can't, you can't really force moments of true forgiveness. And some of the sweetness, the sweetest moments that we've had as parents are the moments, the moments when Cora or Mabel apologize to one another and forgive one another. I know for me as a father who does many things wrong and gets upset when I shouldn't, that the best thing I can do is go to Cora or go to Mabel and tell them, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. And the sweet words of Cora, Mabel can't say it yet, but hopefully she will one day. Daddy, I forgive you. I've learned that it is not realistic to think that your home or my home is going to be one that is characterized by peace all the time. But I know that it is realistic to think that my home and your home can be characterized by forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me remind you that it's because Christ has taken our debt that we can forgive the debts of each other. So this means this morning for you that the person or the people in your life, perhaps even in this body of believers sitting here today, who have wronged you in some way, who have been taking from you, who have slandered your name, who have crushed you, you can charge their wrong to Christ's account also. You can forgive them because you have been forgiven. May we not be like the servant that Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, who having been forgiven of a humongous debt, he goes to his fellow servant who owes him a little debt and proceeds to seize the man and choke him. His master learns of this and he comes to him and he says, 
this, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Might we have mercy upon one another? And rather, might we hear the words of the master, come to me, all who, will, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest that Jesus speaks of is the kind of refreshment that Paul speaks of. Life in God's church with God's people should be refreshing. Unfortunately, we know that sometimes life in God's church is often not refreshing but condemning. This morning, let us all turn to Jesus Christ this day, for He is gentle and lowly in heart, and He will give us rest and refreshment for our souls. Then, because He has taken our debt, might we forgive one another. Now you see, nobody really knows what happens between Philemon and Onesimus. If you read commentaries or you read other books about this, you're going to get just ideas and conjectures about what happened. Some may be true, but we, don't, we won't really ever know. Still, Paul's masterful display of pastoral diplomacy as an apostle of Jesus Christ teaching them and teaching us this morning that our debt has been paid by Christ, which makes reconciliation with God possible. And then flowing out of our reconciliation with God ought to be reconciliation with one another. The basis for Paul's request, which is their fellowship in the faith, is what makes it possible for Paul to ask Philemon to do such a thing. And our fellowship in the faith as a body of believers is what makes forgiveness possible. And the bridge for Onesimus charging Paul's account for the debt that Onesimus owed is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. And the benefit of Paul's request, which is the, the refreshment of your heart, of my heart, shows us what flows from a fellowship that is driven by faith and a life that is characterized by reconciliation and forgiveness. The law, the law of God condemns us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free. For Jesus Christ, He has paid our debt, and you can charge your sin to Christ's account. Paul knew this, and he showed Philemon that for this very reason, he ought to welcome Onesimus back home, a runaway slave with a debt to be paid, back into his house and forgive him of this debt. I don't know for sure. I'd like to think that Louis Zamperini at some point read the letter to Philemon and learned the same lesson. In January of 1998, years after becoming a Christian Zamperini, he returned to Japan to run a leg in the Olympic torch relay for the Nagano Olympics. It was not too far from his prisoner of war camp where he had been held. While he was there, he tried to meet with his chief tormentor and most brutal opponent throughout the war. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't meet with him. 
However, Zamperini sent him a letter stating that while he suffered great mistreatment from him, he forgave him. No one knows if his persecutor ever read the letter, but we do know that Zamperini's nightmares ended when he, when he forgave his captors. This morning, like Louis Zamperini, we are reminded that forgiveness is possible because we've been forgiven in Christ. And may we rest in Christ this morning that He has paid our debt and that we have been welcomed back into the household of God. Then we, as ambassadors of Christ, which have been given the ministry of reconciliation, might we forgive one another for the wrongs that have been done. In closing, I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, which I think captures what Paul is thinking at this time. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, you, me, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see from the small letter, 25 verses in the New Testament, that the power of Christian fellowship, the power of the gospel, is far greater than any social or economic distinctions. Slave is reconciled with master. Friends are reconciled with friends. Co-workers are reconciled with co-workers. Brothers and sisters are reconciled with one another because we have been reconciled with God. May you know this morning that today your debt has been paid. And might we go from this place willing to let others be forgiven and forgive them of their debt also. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, holy is your name. We thank you, O Lord, for your word this morning from Philemon that was true then and is still true today, and will be true for eternity. Thank you, Infinite Father, that our King, Jesus Christ, is on the throne. Thank you that our debt has been paid. Might we know that and rest in that and take much comfort and hope that our sins have been forgiven. And then from that, may we go and be ministers of reconciliation. Might we be your ambassadors who bring peace, who bring forgiveness, who offer reconciliation. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.